guys, we're going to end Unit 1, The Global Tapestry, by visiting Europe. Um, please remember, keep thinking comparisons as we go through this. Uh, let's roll. Topic 1-6, Developments in Europe. Developments in Europe have been quite, became quite complicated during the so-called Middle Ages. This is the period after the fall of Rome, which happened around 550, and before the Renaissance, which is around 1400, and we're going to co uh, cover that in Unit 3. Developments in the Middle East, the Roman Empire, and eventually Christianity was divided into two groups or factions that split, reconnected, then split again. Ultimately, the Eastern Roman Empire centered in Constantinople, uh, which became the highly... Oh, sorry, let's try it again. Ultimately, the Eastern Roman Empire centered in Constantinople became the highly centralized government, a government located in one place known as the Byzantine Empire. In the West, the Roman Empire collapsed completely, although Christianity, the official religion of, Roman, of the Romans, when they fell, remained strong. In the Western part of Europe, the Catholic form of Christianity dominated society, while in the East, Eastern Orthodox Christianity reigned supreme. Okay, quickly on that, just think of Europe as Eastern Europe, Western Europe. The Byzantine Empire rises in the um, East. That's what we're going to be focused on is the Byzantines. We'll visit them a little bit uh, later and then uh, look at who took them over, which was the Ottoman Empire. Um, and the other thing is people always get confused students um, with Christianity. Basically, anybody who thinks that Christ is a savior is a Christian. There's many different forms of Christianity, including the two that are listed there, the Catholics um, and Eastern Orthodox. Um, in America, there's many forms as well. The Protestants uh, would be one. Mormonism would be another, et cetera, et cetera. Baptists would be another one. Okay. All right, let's look at European feudalism. Feudalism, the name of uh, the European social, economic, and political system of the Middle Ages, had a strict hierarchy, which is a social structure. At the top was a king who had power over an entire area called his kingdom. Beneath him were nobles or lords who, in exchange for military service and loyalty to the king, were granted power over sections of the kingdom. These lords controlled the land, which is where you come up with the term landlords, the landlords. They controlled the land for the king and they collected taxes. To do this tax collection and to protect the people, there were knights who worked for the lords. At the bottom were the peasants who worked the land. The idea was everyone in the system had to keep the people above them happy. The peasants produced food, sold it, and paid taxes to the knights when they came knocking, who paid taxes to the landlord, who paid taxes to the king. Best way to do this, you should draw yourself out a triangle um, with the king at the top of the triangle, and then a few more lords is the next section, and a few more knights is the next section. At the bottom of that triangle is a large group of peasants because they made up the biggest part of society. The land granted to the lords were known as manors. The lord, the knights, and the peasants lived on the manor. The peasants worked the land for the lord. In exchange, the lord gave the peasants protection and a place to live. Manors were self-sufficient as they had everything needed to live. Food was harvested, clothing and shoes were made, and so on. The lord had allegiance to the king, but as long as the lord paid sufficient taxes to the king, the king left the lords alone. You guys could probably figure out the landlords were probably pop, you know, keeping as much in their pockets as they could because they were rich. They just had to keep the king happy enough and pass enough taxes on that he didn't get mad. The feudal system was male-dominated. Only men could inherit land, so women were basically powerless. When a lord died, all of his property went to his oldest son. Women could inherit a manor, but they could not rule it. 
The only education women received were domestic skills, skills for the home, like cooking and cleaning. Women were essentially property to be protected or displayed. In other words, again, it's a patriarchy like every society we've looked at. Women basically do the domestic duties and men are the ones in control. Okay, nothing different than anybody else. But again, absorb that and make that comparison. Peasants called serfs also have few rights, whether male or female. As manorial life evolved, peasants became tied to the land quite literally. They could not leave the manor without the permission of, from their lord. Peasants were not quite slaves, as they were not property of the lords, but they were not free. Ironically, the serfs became highly skilled as they learned many crafts in the manor. Eventually, some skilled craft workers began to earn extra income as their crafts were valued over time. This began to chip away at the hierarchy of feudalism. Eventually, these urban craftsmen and merchants who sold these crafts became the European middle class. In other words, if they were really good at doing something, let's say if they were a really good shoemaker, people would go to them and say, I'm willing to pay extra to get, it, to get an extra fancy shoe. And that's how these people moved basically out of this peasantry and into the middle class. All right, trading and crusading. Near the manors arose towns with wealthy merchants. Towns were started on lands controlled by feudal lords. They were independent as long as they paid taxes to the lords. The middle-class merchants in these towns became politically powerful as they formed partnerships or alliances with the merchants in other towns. The, this Hanseatic League, remember this one because it's going to come up in the next unit, this Hanseatic League was established in 1348. They controlled much of trade in Northern Europe. This interdependence or reliance on each other, on other towns eventually led towns to push for formation of nations. So just think of this league as different towns that had different things. If you have item A and town, uh, and the next town has item B, and neither one of you have the other item, you start trading with each other, you become interdependent, and eventually you basically want you to have your own country. Okay. The wealth of Europe during the Middle Ages led to the building of great churches or cathedrals. This, uh, these massive churches were often funded based on the gifts from kings since the taxes flowed to the monarch. And of course, the monarch wanted to keep the church happy so that he and his family would go to heaven. These cathedrals had tall windows and vaulted ceilings that reached for the heavens. We'll look at one of those in Constantinople um, later. European contacts with the Muslim world during the Crusades, military campaigns that were taken undertaken by European Christians from 1,000 to 1,300 to take over Holy Lands, but more importantly, to control trade cities and routes. The Crusades helped spur more trade, but also new thoughts on religion. The fact that religions were battling, in essence, to make more money led many to begin to question the role of Christianity in the world. Many that questioned Christianity were labeled heretics, those that had religious practices or beliefs that did not conform to the traditional church doctrines or beliefs. Okay. Um, crusades, they are holy wars, okay, where the Christians and Islam fight. They would say it was over control of the Holy Land, but really what it was about was controlling key uh, trade cities like Constantinople, what we just mentioned, um, like Jerusalem, um, and also the routes that connected those places up. So it is a holy war, but it was never really about um, religion or conversion. It was about trade. Okay, keep that in mind. It's really important. New political power and ideas. Keep in mind that during the majority of the Middle Ages, Western Europe wasn't organized into countries or nation states, but rather into feudal kingdoms. However, by 1200, Western Europe began to organize based upon cultural and linguistic language spoken, based on linguistic lines. In other words, you speak the same language, right? 
People who spoke French aligned themselves with France and became France. Those who spoke English united under the rule of England, and then it became England. These two were centralized governments under the control of one ruling family. In Germany and Italy, decentralized governments became the norm as a group of strong independent towns and kingdoms rose up and created informal relationships of common languages and cultures. These relationships led to strong economic ties. So it's very much like the Hanseatic League that we talked about earlier, but now it's based on language and culture. In England, there existed a strong monarchy or ruling family. However, in 1215, King John attempted to raise taxes to fund a war. The nobles rebelled eventually, and eventually forced the king to sign the Magna Carta. This document increased the power of the nobles, but also increased the rights of the lower classes. For the first time, the nobles were allowed to elect an assembly called Parliament, similar to Congress in America. Parliament was made up of nobles who were responsible for representing the views of different parts of England on lawmaking and taxation issues. The Magna Carta was the first document in history to limit the power of the king. Okay, um, Magna Carta really important uh, because it does limit the power of the monarch. Now, over time, the monarchs of England will gather some of that power back. They will just make laws, and if nobody says anything about it, they'll make more laws, and they'll collect more taxes. But 1215, really important, because that document will be looked back on. So when later, when we get to, I don't know, documents like the Declaration of Independence, which were about taxes and rights, they look back to the Magna Carta as kind of a model of what um, that document should look like, Declaration of Independence. There's others as well. French Declaration of Rights of Man, the English Bill of Rights, they all look at the Magna Carta, okay? Um, all right, that's the unit. Uh, really what you need to be thinking about now are comparisons. Again, make sure you're getting through the essential questions, um, but as you're doing it, be thinking of, hey, that's really similar to this that we already looked at, or look at, hey, this is really different than this that we already looked at, because that's really what we're gonna start doing is playing with um, these different groups and these different areas and how they were similar and how they were different. That's really the way this class works, okay? All right, so that's uh, the end of Unit 1. We'll do some comparative stuff uh, before we move on to Unit 2, okay?